I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jaipal Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. We need to get together and let our voices be heard. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're going to have some real healing. We've got to have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. Thanks for joining us on What's Next. I'm Angelie Preston. On today's show, we welcome Casina Frazier. Casina works in higher education and founded the company Access Granted, which works with college-bound youth with a focus on those who are underrepresented in higher education. Casina, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Angelie, for having me. How, first, how are you? How are you doing? I am doing well. Um, the sun is shining, so I'm happy about that. Sun always makes me happy. Um, <laughs> I always say any day above ground is a great day. Let's talk about Access Granted. Yes. What is Access Granite? So Access Granite um, basically is college access consulting, unlocking your full potential with the education as key. So what I do, I serve underserved and marginalized student populations just to help them not only get to college, but get through college and whatever that looks like for them. It can be a certificate program, four-year degree, if they want to get a master's, even go as far as a doctorate degree. What made you want to start Access Granite? It was a lot of different things. So I'm a master's level social worker. Um, so I have a master's in social work. My why, um, I always say, is because no one was there for me when it was time for me to navigate the process of college, right? When I was in high school, a guidance counselor really didn't provide that much guidance per se. I was accepted into an HEOP program because I am a first generation college student. So shout out to all the first gen students. Shout out, me too. Yes. <laughs> um, so I am a first generation college student. I was accepted into this particular program um, because I'm first gen, because I came from a single family household. My grades were not really bad, but not like super great. And this particular program um, was for students like me. Um, so I had all of those qualifying factors. However, it was never really explained to me properly when the guidance counselor you know told me like oh yeah you got into this university and you have to go in the summertime I completely shut down like I don't want to go in the summertime it was my first summer out of high school and I'm like I just want to work and just hang with my friends and be with my boyfriend right. and not like go to school right but she never really pitched it to me as this is why this is why you were chosen this will set you up for X, Y, and Z. You're going to get a head start. You're going to be able to, you know, further academically excel. By the time September comes, you'll have friends. You'll have, you know, like all of these things, all of the benefits of the program um, should have been sold to me, and it was not. So now here I am. I do have three degrees now. Praise God, I was able to make it through. But I had to navigate that process by myself financially, doing the FAFSA, um, just kind of figuring it out, working going to school, then I became a mom. So like, I feel like if I would have had the knowledge um, that I'm giving students right now, if I would have had that or someone to impart that in me at an earlier age, who knows where, you know, where I would be. So that is my why. I, I do this because no one 
did it for me. I also understand that the population of students that I serve, the under-marginalized, the underserved, they don't have the same access to um, higher ed as their affluent peers, right? They don't have parents who have been there before them. So many of them are the first, and being first is scary, as we all know, right? You have a lot of weight on your shoulders, maybe from your family, or you still have to work and you still have to provide, or you have someone telling you, you know, you can't do it because I didn't do it, or you might have dreams and aspirations and someone's shooting them down all the time because right. they didn't achieve it, then they're, you know, just placing that that doubt in your head. And then you have that negative self-talk that um, comes in. So I do what I do because I want all of the students who want to go to college or get a certificate or do something that no one else in their family um, has done. I am like their biggest cheerleader. I'm their advocate. I'm there to give them the tools, whatever they need to make sure that they're able just to be successful. So you mentioned the guidance counselor mm -hmm. that really didn't have any, didn't really provide any guidance for Correct. you. And I'm assuming you were 17 or 18 Correct. when most students are, when most kids, mm -hmm. youth, teenagers are trying to figure out if they're going to go to college. Right. And I could only imagine, um, as I was once 17 and 18, that the amount of responsibility mm -hmm. that that is and how scary it can be for a youth, a teenager who doesn't have that guidance to try to figure it out. Absolutely. Absolutely. So and um, just to speak to what you're saying, like. At 17 and 18, like, it's super unrealistic now that we think about it for you to know what you want to be when you grow up, essentially, right? At 17 and 18, you're still finding yourself. You're still exploring. Um, with Access Granted, I also do career exploration as well. Yes, I am a college access consultant. Um, yes, my workshops are around um, the tools that you need, but it's also exploring different careers as well. So, yeah, like, like you said, at 17 and 18, they might, like, I get missed. I don't know. I miss. I don't know. Miss. I don't know. Okay. Well, let's talk about it. Let's delve deep into it. So really just having these conversations with the students that they're not able to have with probably a guidance counselor who does not have time or they might not have like a trusting teacher or, you know, family members. Once again, um, they're probably first generation. So just helping them explore what that can look like for them so that they can do something that they're able to, you know, sustain a living wage for their families um, as they move forward. So pretty much really breaking that, that generational curse of poverty, breaking that cycle. Um, surest way out of poverty is education, right? And, you know, just letting them know that it is attainable. It's definitely attainable. You, you might have to work a little hard for it. Not might. You will have to work a little hard <laughs> for it. Um, but it is attainable if you have the right um, right knowledge and the right support, essentially. What do you tell your students and those that you coach who are unsure of, of you know, the the major that they want? May, mm -hmm. They may want to one day, one semester, they may want to do nursing. Then they're like, oh, well, I really don't want to do that, but mm -hmm. I'm scared to to try another major. What would you tell them? It is okay to not know, number one. We don't have to have everything figured out. Um, I work with a lot of adults that don't have everything figured out. I don't even have everything <laughs> figured <either>. out, right? <laughs> so I just let them know, like, it's okay to not know. And you are at the time now where it's okay to explore, right? When I was 17 and 18 in high school, I didn't have all of the I wasn't afforded all of the things that, like, these students have now with, like, apprenticeship program 
and um, internship programs and a mentor. No one told me the importance of a mentor, right? I have a mentor and I'm super grown, right? Big grown business <laughs> owner. I'm a mom, but I still have a mentor. So even just telling them like to seek out someone in the field, I pretty much know someone in every field. Like if I don't know them, I can find them. So just linking them up with someone who wants to do it. It's like, okay, you want to be a nurse? Let's talk about it. Because nurses do many things. I have a lot of nurse friends that work in many different nursing capacities. Let me link you with them. Have a conversation with them. Maybe you can shadow them, you know, at some point, depending on what they do. Um, so really just helping them explore it because or get an internship. Because they might have one day and they're like, ooh, I thought I wanted to be a nurse until I saw that blood and now I do not. <laughs> so let's move on to something else. I do different assessments when I am able to do one-on-one, -on -one, different assessments just to see where your strengths are. Um, because if you super suck at, like, math and science and you want to be a nurse, eh, we're going to have to talk about that. Um, <laughs> what can we do to strengthen those skills? Or if it's just super, super bad, let's explore something else. There's a lot of other different fields um, in the medical fields aside from nursing. It's usually just people's go-to because that's all they know. So really just having those in-depth conversations with them. I like my students to dream big. Nothing is too far-fetched. I always say, if you tell me you want to be an astronaut and you want to go to the moon, let's get it. How are we going to get there? What needs to happen to get from you being this high school student to getting up there in the sky, right? So not never belittling them, never minimizing and shooting down their dreams. But whatever you want to do, let's talk about it. How does your work look uh, versus um, when you're working with a youth versus an adult? Because you mentioned that you also have adults that you work with. Mm -hmm. Do those two programs look the same or how do you go about that? So usually when it's the adults, um, it's not more so the one-on-one. -on -one. It's usually the parents of the students. Um, but then that brings on a lot of questions from the parents as well because, like I said, these are marginalized communities where the parents have no clue about anything right so Johnny can be coming to mom and saying like oh hey I want to do this or Miss Cassina and I talked about this and now these are raising a lot of questions for the parents because this is foreign knowledge to them so for the most part the students have more knowledge than than the parents so I'm really only working with the students um, but when I'm having these conversations with the adults or with the program directors or the counselors in, you know, different um, agencies or schools that hire me to come in to do, like, these workshops. That's really the only time where I'm really having, you know, the conversations with, with the adults. But pretty much just having the reinforcement, right? Like, so if I'm in a high school or if I'm in a college working with first-year college students, usually the director, they hire me for a specific topic. I come in, I talk about that, but then that also gives them something to build on, right? So if we're talking about, for instance, time management and what that looks like. We have 24 hours in a day. What are you doing with your time? How can you delegate, you know, time to do this and that when it comes to, you know, your academic success? And then after that, after that 90 minutes with me, then that leaves them with something to build on, whether it's the parent like, okay, now remember Miss Casina said, or you had that workshop, and kind of just layer it to keep moving forward, and then that's not like the only time that they hear about it. I want to talk about your background. You're originally from New Jersey. I am. When did, what made you decide to come to the Western New York area? 
Well, it wasn't really a choice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was still under underage. I was 14 when we moved to Niagara Falls. So my parents are from this area. Um, my mom's from Niagara Falls. My dad um, was from Buffalo. So Western New York was their home. Um, my sister and I were both born in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Um, and then we migrated back up this way when I was actually in high school. Uh, my grandma, um, who has um, passed on, she was getting older and my mom had been away from home since she graduated high school. So she just wanted to come back and be closer to, you know, closer to her mom, closer to family. So that's how we made our way back on up here. So it's been since 94. So Buffalo is home for me. I still go back to Jersey to visit, but I have no family in Jersey. Um, Buffalo is home. All of my family is here in the city of Buffalo. Talk about your experience um, going to school in the Niagara Falls School District. How was that for you? It was really a shock for me because I transferred the second part of ninth grade, so right after Christmas break. So I actually started high school in Jersey, and I came here. Initially, I did not want to move, right? All of my friends' groups, everything was there in Jersey. I really did not want to move, but of course, you know, when your family moves, you have to. I really didn't have a choice. Um, going to the Niagara Falls School District for me, was well first of all the school was literally like a quarter size of my school in jersey um my school in jersey was like four of my niagara falls high schools in one it was was, huge so the school you went to in the falls was smaller small very small i am a musician i've been singing since i can talk at that time i played the clarinet also since the fifth grade my band in jersey literally was like hbcu marching band we did field shows we had dancers Coming here, well, to Niagara Falls, the band was much smaller. They never even got on the field. I was like, wait, what? What do you mean? So everything was just so so different. High school did turn out to be a great experience because I've always been a people person. So meeting people, I have no problem doing that. I never have. It was just being separated from my friends. But once I got past that and it's like, okay, Cassini, you're here now. Make the best of it. I had a couple of friends who were still friends to this day, one of which we literally talk almost every day. She's actually relocated. She's in Raleigh, North Carolina, but we've literally been friends since since ninth grade. So I have been able to make some long-lasting relationships but initially I was like I do not want to be here <laughs> <laughs> that's like every every uh child who moves exactly. to a different area like, right because oh, you're the new girl yep. right so then you have to go through and I went through all of those things having to prove yourself maybe I like you or maybe I don't or it's just the awkwardness but that was like so long ago and it was way different that was before social media that was before you know, so it was it was definitely it was an experience, but I would say it made me, you know, who, who I am today because I was like forced to be in a new atmosphere and I had to adapt. Just like I tell my students, they have to when they get on a college campus. Right. College is different. It's new. Depends on if you go to a PWI or HBCU and it's, it's just going to look different. But you have to adapt to your surroundings um, and you have to get those tools um, that are in your toolbox that you've gotten from life or your mentor or your teachers or if you've participated in some of my workshops and pull those tools out of that toolbox and, um, you know, make, make it happen. Let's take a quick break. More to come on What's Next. WBFO wants to hear about your favorite Thanksgiving traditions. What are your favorite foods, rituals? Tell us your stories by using the Talk to Us feature in the WBFO app or Call us at 877-997-9236 and leave a message. 
Then listen to WBFO during Thanksgiving weekend to hear about the wonderful traditions of your neighbors. Hey, is this thing on? Test, test, one, two. Sounds great. Let's go. The podcast world is overflowing with more than 750,000 podcasts to choose from. But for great local podcasts, you can now go to one place, the new Amplify BTPM Pods app. Here you can discover content produced in Western New York and Southern Ontario, our own backyard. With a wide variety of genres to choose from, there is something for everyone. Listen to the best independently produced podcast in the region anywhere, anytime. Download the free Amplify BTPM Pods app wherever you get your apps and begin exploring your local podcast community now. Watch great videos produced by your public media stations online. Find Buffalo Toronto Public Media on YouTube and check out interviews by our WNED Classical hosts, original productions from WNED PBS, and so much more. Attention parents and teachers, find free learning resources, including lesson plans and videos for all ages at pbslearningmedia.org. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at WBFO.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. If you're just joining us on What's Next, I've been speaking with Casina Frazier. Casina founded a company called Access Granite, which works to help underrepresented and marginalized groups access college education. Let's talk about your experience in education because mm-hmm. you have three degrees. Yes. So what an associate's, a bachelor's, and a master's, yes. like the the triple threat and here. And a certificate too. And a certificate. So four. <laughs> so you are more than qualified to to coach these students mm-hmm. and to and to teach these students and to show them the way. Um, talk about your experience in higher education. Uh, when where what did you do before you started your company? So before I started my company, I was working in a school building for a school-based preventive program, so working alongside of Erie County Child Protection, and I would work with students who were at risk from being removed from their home. So really my program was a last resort for these students. So it's either you work with this program or, um, you know, we're going to have to talk about separating. So what that looked like was um, case management, um, making sure that the family had all they need, identifying goals with the family, seeing what they had going on. So whether if parents or guardians needed mental health or if they had substance abuse problems or addiction and things like that. So I did that prior to going into higher education. I also worked for child protection, um, right? Really did not like working for child protection. It was then, well, coming out of undergrad, I thought that's what I wanted to do. I want to save the world. I want to make sure that, you know, these kids are safe. But when you're on the other side, you realize that there's a lot of politics around a lot of different things. And I cannot work or be a part of something where my mission and values don't align with the work that I'm doing. So I am seeing, um, when we talk about generational curses, right, I'm seeing generation after generation after generation have the same issues. I'm looking at cases where this is a teen parent, but... Her mom was also going through domestic violence, and the grandma was also going through domestic violence. So now we're on generation number four 
they're all going through domestic violence. What is happening here? Like, why is this continual? What is someone doing or not doing to break this generational curse? For me, I want, I always wanted to be the person, um, we know the problem, but what is the solution? I don't want to put a Band-Aid over it, right? I want to give you a solution to change that, right? I don't, I don't want this to be a continual problem. So that was one reason why I just could not do that because it really was put a Band-Aid over it, move it, move it on. I, mm. I just not, that's just not something I could subscribe to. I've worked in adoption. I've worked in foster care. I've worked with parenting teams at an organization here literally up until like a couple months ago. Did that for nine years just to help these teens be better moms, teach them that, you know, if you're not okay, your baby would never be okay, right? What does that look like? What do you need to do to, you know, make yourself okay for this child, because once again, we're you know breaking breaking barriers, breaking those generational curses, and now I'm working in higher ed for a pre-collegiate program. Um, aside from doing access granted, so um, I have been working with children and families oh, so long, <laughs> well over a decade at this point. But that is my passion. I always say college access is my jam. I've coined myself as a college access champion because. I am going to rah-rah for you to, <laughs> you know what I mean, be able to do, like I said, whatever it is you want to do. Because everyone should have equitable access to college education, right? It's it's not fair that some people have more leverage than others just because of their background or where they come from. Um, and part of my mission for Access Grant, it is a student zip code, race, or parental status should not affect you know, where you can go is in, in regards to your education. And it's okay to be first. I tell my students that all the time. It's, it's okay. okay to be first. <laughs> I was first and here I am. <laughs> I want to talk about that, uh, the first generation. But before you uh, mentioned something, um, you just said it, that everyone should have access to education. Absolutely. And though your focus, part of um, Access Granite, um, your focus is black and brown youth. It's not limited to that. Correct. It's for everyone. Talk about Absolutely. that more. Yeah, so when I always say that, I do have some people. I did another interview before, and people can be closed-minded. I say a lot, but we all know that people can pick, they pick out what they want to hear. So I do say, yes, black and brown. But statistically, black and brown students are the ones who are getting left behind, right, when you look at the data. I do serve underrepresented and marginalized populations. That's not always black and brown students. I serve all students, right? I'm, I'm not just like, oh, I'm just here for, but do I enjoy serving my students that look like me? Absolutely, because I know that those students really are the ones that are falling between the cracks, um, right? I've, I've worked with a sixth grader who was barely reading on a first grade level. Those wow. students are the ones that are falling between the cracks. A lot of times people that don't look like me have an advantage just because of what they look like. They can also be poor. They can also live in a low income, but they are also going to still have that privilege because they are not a black and brown person. So I always want to just make it clear that I do work with all students, not just black and brown students, um, because some people I've, I've had, like I said, I've had someone like, oh, well, she just, it's like, no, I work with all students. Everyone. I work with everyone, yes. Um, but when we're talking about that underserved, when we're talking about those marginalized populations, it does look different for them. They navigate education different. They navigate higher ed different. They navigate life different, right? I always tell my students about 
Brown versus Board of Education. This education system was never created for black and brown students. And even now in 2023, um, just so many different things that are coming, you know, coming back. It's just, it's kind of like everything is just being overturned and affirmative action and higher ed and people are still discriminated against. But it's not, you know, the people that don't look like me, right? It's those black and brown students. So yeah, I'm definitely um, a huge advocate for, for them. So you, so Access Granted um, not only serves Western New York, but you've worked outside of the area. Yes. And um, one of the points that you just touched on um, was Brown versus the Board of Education, mm-hmm. but also how things are being overturned, like with yes, laws. Yes, absolutely. Um, and it made me think about Florida, what's going on in Florida. Oh, my gosh, it's terrible. With, <laughs> it's so bad. So... A two-part question, um, and for those who don't know what's going on uh, with Florida, the governor there, Ron DeSantis, essentially banned critical race theory and mm-hmm. African American uh, studies and higher education, in, higher educational institutions. Mm-hmm. My question to you, two-part question: Number one is, have you ever, because some, a few HBCUs are in Florida. Yes. Um, Bethune Cookman, Florida A and M. Have you worked with any students or or youth who have interest in going to an HBCU in Florida that are aware of what's happening in Florida? And two, have you ever worked with anyone in Florida? Period regarding you know what you right. do with access granted right. Um, So I do not have any students that are interested in HBCUs in Florida. Um, When students are talking to me about different things, even with relocation, and if they say, Miss, I want to be a teacher, that's great. And I want to move out of Buffalo, and I want to move to Florida. Eh, Okay, so let's talk (laughs) about it, right? So I have had that conversation because we live in Buffalo. We understand that our weather is, like, not the greatest, right? You say Buffalo, people either know it's for the bills, the wings, or the snow. The snow. That's literally, that's it. The three things. The bills, yeah. The wings wings and the snow. So if they want to go into a field of education, and not just Florida, the South, period, right? My my sister, she works in healthcare in Houston, Texas. Houston. Texas in, is it's its own like country. Like they do whatever they want. <laughs> she worked there during the pandemic and it was horrible. Really? Um, I visited during the pandemic and, you know, we're going to places with masks on and they were wearing no masks. And they're looking at us like we have three eyes and we're looking at them like, why don't you have a mask on? It's a pandemic. It's a pandemic. <laughs> right. So when I'm when I'm talking to students, um, definitely I, I've never had any um, back to your question that wanted to attend HBCU, but definitely like wanting to go into education and I want to move to Houston or I want to move to Dallas or I want to move to Florida because the weather. And those are conversations that we definitely have. I said, because when you're when you're going, um, you cannot there. There's a curriculum that's already set. Right. Yes, you can alter it some, but some things are being banned. Right. Like you said, in, in Florida, they're talking about like you know, slavery and, and making it into a positive thing. And it's just like, what? Like, as a as an educator, I can never stand in a classroom of students, no matter what color they are, and water down our history or change the narrative to make it how, like, no, that, <laughs> like, right, when we talked about missions and values not aligning, 
Absolutely not. So if you're one of those people that can't do that, then you probably don't want to live in Florida. You probably don't want to, like, in a red state, essentially. Um, so, yeah, these are, like, in-depth conversations that I do have with the students that I serve. I have done some work down south, Michigan, Jersey, but a lot of the students that I work with, even in my full-time job on a regular basis, they are interested in going to different HBCUs and, and things like that because they want to know more um, not even just know more about their history. They just want to be somewhere where they are celebrated and they are, you know, able to be a part of the majority and not not the minority. I want to talk about your work with HBCUs. Mm -hmm. So, what does that what what does that look like? And you are, I, I guess I would say affiliated with uh, HBCUs. Yeah, I'm an HBCU mama. Yes. <laughs> And you are also part of the Divine Nine. Absolutely. So I wanted to talk about that, too. Yes, for sure. I, I'm cheesing. You all can probably hear my smile coming through the airways. So I am an HBCU mom. So I always say when people are, like, talking about HBCUs, I'm, I'm right there proud, too, because my daughter's HBCU definitely gets my tuition money. <laughs> Therefore, I am a part as well. So my daughter does attend an HBCU. HBCU in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. She actually, um, so her experience, she ended up there because she had a bad experience in high school and middle school because she was part of the minority and not the majority. Um, she had her first bout with racism at, in fourth grade. She did not understand why people didn't like her because of her skin color when we moved into the district. I've always raised her to love everyone, um, no matter what color you are, black, white, purple, green, big, fat, tall, skinny. Um, I mentioned before, I'm a social worker, so I've worked with kids with disabilities in the past, and when I would do outings and stuff, I would bring my daughter along. So she was always exposed to people who were different. And so she was very knowledgeable of that. And I also raised her in church and she understood that you are blessed to wake up with your right mind, have the activity of all of your limbs. When she sees me working with, at that time, kids who were in wheelchairs or that were nonverbal. So she's she's a different type of, of kid. So when someone is saying, oh, I don't like you because of the way you look or your hair or things like that, like that was really hurtful for her because she's just like, I'm just trying to make new friends, you know, yeah. at, at a school. Um, but what I did teach her at an early age is you are going to be a black woman for the rest of your life. And you're going to have to learn how to navigate these spaces. As she got older, she's always been a, a honor student, high honor student. Academics was always number one in my house. So I'm like, you're going to be a black woman. You're going to be a black educated woman. You are going to intimidate a lot of people. But I always taught her um, you have every right to be in a room just like everybody else. Once you start getting your degrees, you are have the right to have a seat at the table, just like everyone else. Don't ever let anyone dim your light or dim your shine or make you feel less than because of how you look. Um, so she has definitely always had that instilled in her, and now she's just she's doing great. She's doing amazing. So she wanted to go somewhere where she was celebrated. She wanted to go somewhere where she was not um, the minority and she was the majority. She wanted to just be her without any judgment or without any critique. And like, she's excelling. She's a junior, almost graduating, which is like crazy. Um, she's 20 years old. She's a business owner. She's a digital media marketing major. Um, so she's just doing absolutely great. Um, so then when we talk about 
the Divine Nine, for those of you who don't know what the Divine Nine is, the Divine Nine are the first nine historically black fraternities and sororities. So when you go back, 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 back a long, long time ago, when fraternities and sororities were originally started, they were not for people that looked like me. Um, so there were some people that said, well, you know what, we're going to make our own, right? Because we were getting degrees back then. We were college educated as well, even though society did not want us to be. So I am actually a part of um, Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated. <laughs> and we were founded on the campus of Howard University in Washington, D.C. on January 16th, 1920. And Howard University is a historically black college or university. Um, and we were founded by what we call our five pearls, our founders, and they were black educated women in the time back in 1920, really trailblazing and blazing the paths and defying the odds for what it looked like for black educated women back then in 1920. And my daughter is also a part of our lovely sorority as of April of this year. So I'm sure you influenced her. <laughs> absolutely. My sorority, we actually, we mentor our youth um, starting at age four all the way through high school. So um, at age eight, she started being a part of our youth auxiliaries that we have here in the city of Buffalo. And she just went all the way through holding different positions, um, leadership positions. So she has been groomed and trained to be a leader basically her her entire life. And that is not the story of many of the students that I work with, right? Even just going back to Access Granite. I always say my daughter is my poster child. So I tell people, if you don't think I know what I'm talking about, you can look at my child. She is definitely a product of my mistakes, what no one taught me, and like everything, I've just poured everything into her and she is just, you know, using it to her advantage and, and flourishing. So I always say she's my poster child. And I understand that my students, a lot of them, they don't have a mom, right? Like me, they don't have a casino. So when I do meet my students afterwards, I tell them I am now part of your network because I always talk about a network and the importance of a network. Because no one told me that at 17 and 18, like a network, what do you mean? You just kind of had to find it, yes, find it along as you Things that I just had to find out for myself. But I'm like, now I'm part of your network. I will advocate for you. When you need a letter of recommendation, you can now call on me, right? Shoot me an email. Shoot me a text message. I always say like Toy Story, you've got a friend in me. After I meet you, you've got a friend in me. What are some of the things that your students and former students who have who you've coached and have been in your program that they've said to you? And, and have they taken you up on, you know, keeping in contact mm -hmm. and, and, you know, networking? Absolutely. So my um on my Instagram page for Access Granite, it's accessgranite.ny. A-K-C-S-S, granite.ny, um, I post um, testimonials for my students. So right before summer, I would do a testimonial Thursday segment every Thursday where I would post testimonials from my students. Um, the things that most of my students, first of all, my students love me, right? I'm not just saying that because I'm me. <laughs> they out, absolutely, right? <laughs> right. They absolutely love me. Kids, I don't want to call them kids, but kids have a spirit of discernment from a very, very young age, right? They can tell the real from the fake. They can tell when you're being genuine and when you're just BSing them, for lack of a better word. The students that I encounter know that my passion is my passion and I am genuine about what I do. They know I can just encounter you and I'm spending 90 minutes with you and I have never seen you before and may not be able to see you again face to face if I'm doing a workshop out of state. But from that 90 minutes, what you get from me at that time, you know, it's the real deal. 
right? When I say, here is my cell phone number at the end of my workshop, here is my email address, call me if you need anything, they know that is the real deal. And yes, they call. Or yes, they text. Like, Ms. Casina, remember when you said if I had a question, I'm thinking about X, Y, and Z. Can you help me? I'll hop on a Zoom call with them or FaceTime. I'll send them resources. I am, like, for them what I say I what I'm say I'm going to be. And I show up for them. And they, they love that. They admire that about me. They also admire the fact that I always say I give it to them straight, no chaser. I am not going to sugarcoat anything. If you're wrong, I'm going to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> I'm not going to be your yes person. I'm going to critique you. I'm going to give you suggestions. Like, I am the mom. <laughs> I'm the mom, <laughs> the mom figure. But they appreciate that because this generation, as much as they fight it, they long for structure. They long for someone who is really, like, in their corner no matter what, whether they have behaviors or what. Like, I don't get offended. Everyone's entitled to a bad day. I demand respect. I don't tolerate disrespect at all. You don't have to like me, but you will respect me. Um, so even with my students that I work with on a regular basis, they know, like, Miss Casina, I will have fun with you. I will do TikToks with you. We will sing. <laughs> yes, TikToks. Yes. <laughs> I'm not that great at it, but, I mean, I'll do it. We will sing, dance, laugh, and play. But when it's time to get down to business, you know, I'm about business. And if if they have their little attitude, they go, that's fine. No hard feelings. Next time I see you, hey, girl, <laughs> give me a hug. You know, it's, it's, it's all love. So they definitely respect the genuineness and just taking the time to just actually sit with them. I've had students like, I've never had anyone that cared enough to even sit and ask me, what do I want to do, let alone go as far as, you know, you and I have, have gone. So that, that must, means a lot. I was going to say, that must make you feel, like, so fulfilled. Yes. And it must make you feel good. To, Absolutely. To because know. I know that something something is sticking. Like, I had a student I was working with, and she relocated to Virginia, um, and they were giving her a hard time in her school building about um, her getting her advanced diploma, which she was on track for. So we understand that when we transfer from state to state, you know, things look a little different. And her guidance counselor, right, pretty much told her, well, why do you want to get an advanced diploma? And this is a, a young first generation. Um, her, her family was from Africa and great, great student. And then she has someone that does not look like her questioning why she wants to get an advanced diploma when her grades are amazing. This is what she's been on track. And she advocated for herself, and she called and told me. She says, Miss Casino, they said this. And she, the, when she, she said, I remember what you taught me, and I advocated for myself. And now she's on track to do, you know, what, what needs to be done. But for me, I was very happy, but it also hurt my heart that you have this young child who is doing exceptionally well, transferring from another state. Why are you not doing everything in your power to make sure she stays on track to do what she's very much capable of doing, right? So it's it's not like it was far-fetched. Her ask was not far-fetched. Um, she didn't come in with all failing grades in the senior year saying, this is what I want to do. Like, this is what she was on track to do. But everyone is not going to be pro cheerleader for <laughs> for our students. But it touched my heart that she says, I advocated for myself, Miss Casina, just like you taught me. And I said, yes, <laughs> that's right. That is right. You go, girl. You go, girl. Okay. Yes, yes. <laughs> and I even had to send an email on her behalf. And she literally calls me at least twice a week. And when she graduates, I will be at her graduation. I am going to hop on a flight 
to Virginia to go and see my girl walk across that stage. Oh, um, I love that. So that's what I am for, you know, that's what I am for my students. They they have a friend in me. I am a forever advocate for um, my babies that I work with all the time. Let's pause our conversation for a brief moment. Stay with us. More to come on WBFO's What's Next. I'm Kraus Shalahorn with Mindful Music. Join me for thoughtful and in-depth conversation with my many different guests from around the region and the world as they discuss how music helps and heals in times of stress and everyday life. Listen to Mindful Music Saturdays at 4 p.m. right here on WBFO, your NPR station. Hi, I'm Christina. I love exploring the world around me and I have behind the scenes VIP tickets to some of the most exciting places and people in Western New York. And you can come along with me from wherever you are. Let's go. A new series you can watch on WNED PBS, the Buffalo Toronto Public Media YouTube channel and on PBS Learning Media nationwide. So let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. This is the Buffalo Toronto Public Media History Bite, bringing you a peek into significant historical events for the week of November 13th through the 19th. I'm your host and WBFO Program Director, Tom Barich. Western New York is no stranger to fall and winter storms, of course, but on November 13th, 1933, Buffalo experienced an actual dust storm. November 15th, 1896 is the day of the first transmission of electricity from Niagara Falls to Buffalo. November 16, 1899, is the day of the very first football game to ever be played in Buffalo. It's easy to think that it may have been a professional football team, but it was Cornell University versus University of Michigan. November 16, 1996, mere hours before a Sabres game, the well-known Jumbotron at the Marine Midland Arena crashed onto the ice. No one was hurt, but I do kind of wish I was there to see that. And sticking with the sports theme, sort of, on November 19th, 1959, Ralph C. Wilson signs the lease for War Memorial Civic Stadium. You've been listening to the Buffalo Toronto Public Media History Bite. Discover more stories about Western New York's past on the Buffalo History Museum's website. Learn more at buffalohistory.org. For Buffalo Toronto Public Media, I'm Tom Barich. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using what's next at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. If you're just tuning in to What's Next, I'm Angelie Preston, and we've been speaking with Casina Frazier. Casina founded the company Access Granite, which does college access coaching to underrepresented and marginalized students. I want to talk about a theme that keeps reoccurring, first-generation student. Yes. November 8th is a, is a special day. It's a very, very special day. So November 8th... Um, all over the world, nationally, we celebrate first-generation students. I currently work for, um, in my full-time room, I work for a pre-collegiate program where I work with first-generation low-income students um, on a daily. 
I wanted to do something, um, not just for the students that I work with, but the city of Buffalo. So last year, I asked, I text Commissioner Otis Barker and says, hey, First Generation Day is on November 8th. It's celebrated all around the world. This is why. This is what it means to be first gen. Can we get a proclamation in the city of Buffalo? Um, can you talk to Mr. Byron Brown and see like what we can do? And I asked and they answered. So last year, November 8th, 2022, was the first day that the proclamation was done for First Generation Day in the city of Buffalo. So now here we are, fast forward, coming up on First Generation Day in the city of Buffalo um, on November 8th. So I'm super, 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 super excited that I was able to do that for the students in the city of Buffalo and first generation graduates like myself and like you, um, just to celebrate our commitment to our education, to our community, um, and for those students who are first gen that are still going through, you know, the process of getting their degrees, just letting them know that, you know, it's okay to be first and you can, like you can do it. Um, look at me, I'm a business owner, um, I'm successful in my career, I'm a mom, I work, you're, you know, a radio host and award winning and all of the things that you do. Um, so it is achievable and it is attainable. So we will be celebrating that next week. What do you have anything planned? For that day, yes, I have so much planned. Well, let's Angela. talk about let's it. Let's talk about <laughs> it. So, I actually have like a week long of events planned. Um, so starting out on Monday the sixth, I have an Instagram live. So, if you follow me on Instagram, I do Instagram lives often with different professionals, um, and we always talk about all things college access, first gen, um, and things like that. So, I have. A licensed clinical social worker who is going to do an Instagram live with me and she is going to talk she's also first-generation American herself um, her family is from Jamaica and she is going to talk about what it means to be first and um, just the mental health and all of things that that surround that right because uh, we always know being first is scary I always say that yes. and there's a lot of pressure um, which can cause anxiety maybe even depression when you're thinking about um, how am I going to pay for it, that financial trauma around it, or trying to navigate working and going to school and just like all those things. So we're going to have that conversation. Um, so that's going to be Monday the 6th. And on Tuesday the 7th, we are going to be doing an HBCU panel, um, which will be via Zoom. And I have representation from um, different HBCUs, Winston-Salem State University, Clark Atlanta, um, as well as North Carolina A&T. So I have some undergraduates who are going to, um, that are currently matriculated at these institutions, and they're going to come on and talk a little bit about them being first gen, talk about, you know, just navigating HBCUs, answer any questions. Because what I'm finding, a lot of students Number one, may or may not know about HBCU. I had no no idea what an HBCU was when I graduated high school in 98. So really it's just the education around it, right? There are historically black colleges and universities that you can go to, and this is what they look like. This is what happens on these campus. This is what housing looks like. This is what sports look like. So I do have some athletes who are going to come on. I have some freshmen who have hit the ground running, and they're already um, the one. He's Mr. Freshman already, and it's only November, right? And he's he just came in and got involved in his college community. So we're going to have conversations around that. Um, it is going to be facilitated, co-facilitated by my daughter, Neve, who um, goes to Winston-Salem State. So Neve is going to co-facilitate that conversation with me. And I also have um, author Timothy Fields. He's one of the co-authors of 
the best book ever, um, Black Family's Guide to College Admissions. So he is going to hop on the conversation and talk us a little bit about first gen and college admissions as it um, pertains to the population of students that I serve. So I'm super excited about that. Then Wednesday, November 8th, we will be in person at Johnny B. Wiley at 6 p.m., 6 to 8. Um, and we're going to have music. I'm going to do a mini workshop. I'm going to do a lot of giveaways. I have um, Global Resilience speaker Duncan Kirkwood is going to come in and impart some words of wisdom to our students. So it's just going to be just a great time just to celebrate first-generation students currently and then the graduates. So that's going to happen in person on November 8th. And then on November 9th, I'm doing another HBCU Zoom panel because I want to give people a couple of options if they couldn't hop on on Tuesday. They can come and hop in on Thursday. On Thursday, it's going to be co-facilitated by um, Miss Rashida Muhammad, who is a Buffalo native. She now lives in Charlotte, and she is a Clark Atlanta alum. She has her MBA from Clark Atlanta, and she's going to co-facilitate that conversation. Um, and I also have one of the staff from Winston-Salem State University who has been working there for quite some time, Dr. Virgil. He's going to come in and also talk a little bit about first-generation students and the HBCUs. And I have some other alumni who's going to join in. One is an alum for North Carolina A&T who is now here in Buffalo working. Another one, she is actually matriculated currently finishing up her doctorate at Tennessee State and she is also first generation Nigerian so we're go- I just really wanted to have representation for everyone so out of both of these HBCU panels someone is going to be able to see themselves or bring, you know, get something out of it. And I also want to shout out Dennis Wilson and Rhonda Wilson because both of those panels will be recorded at their studios, the W Studios in Amherst. Um, So, yeah, they, they donated that for me. So shout out to Dennis and Rhonda Wilson for being able to do that for Access Granite and the students. I love that. It's a busy, busy week. Busy week, but I'm so, so excited. I'm very excited. I really wanted to just have space, like hold space for these conversations. Because once again, many students may never be able to step foot on an HBCU campus, or once again, they not even know about it. But hopefully, if they're able to log on to either one of these, you know, panels and just hear the actual students, right? It's one thing to have the adults, right? Adults, we can talk and tell them. But just to hear from students, just to hear from their peers who aren't too far removed. Like I said, I have freshmen, you know what I mean? They're 17 years old. They just got on campus two months ago, but they've hit the ground running. They're already, you know, being a part of their their campus community, which is very, very important to be active and things like that. So I really wanted something, something for everyone, for the parents as well as the students, because even having the graduate alums or the one that's finishing a doctorate, a parent can look and like, wow, oh, it's not too late. Like, I can do this. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm sorry. No, that's fine. I'm excited. I was just saying I'm excited. I also feel like that young like young adults and youth and teenagers are more receptive to their own age group mm-hmm. versus to, versus talking to us parents because they feel like they're so far removed right. because we're older mm-hmm. and yes, we've lived the experience and we have more life experience. They they're just not receptive to what we say. It's right. like my mom has said this, mm-hmm. or my dad said that, my aunt said, "Oh gosh!" But when you hear it from from someone their age, right. who's actually living, you know, the, yes. the life that they are soon right going to be living, it, it just hits different. Yes, absolutely. And like I, every student that I encounter, I always tell them, uh, "My daughter is a vlogger," so I always tell them to follow her because she literally 
She vlogs everything, um, but she vlogs her experiences. She vlogs her parties. She vlogs school when she goes to other campuses. She does interviews with students. She asks questions um, because, like you said, it does give a different perspective coming from you know one one of their one of their peers. So, I am a firm believer of meeting students where they are. All of my workshops are interactive. They're moving around. I'm playing their music. I ask them, what do they want to listen to? I'm a huge Beyonce fan, but some people might not like Beyonce. But you are are (laughs) going to get at least one Beyonce song during the workshop. Um, But while they're doing their research or doing whatever, I'm playing what they want to hear, right? They're using their phones. I'm I'm a firm believer of meeting them where they are because this generation is different, especially after COVID. The way that we need to reach them and how we engage them looks a lot different. And that's one of the one of the things that really sets me apart from other consultants and workshop facilitators. Um, I'm not the only one in the world doing this, right? People are doing college access coaching all over the world. But what makes Access Granted different is just that, the way that I'm able to engage the students, the way that I'm able to create the content around um, exactly what what they need or the curriculum around what they need. My whole thing is I don't like people just sitting talking at me. That bores me. I don't want to bore you. (laughs) Right. Um, And if students are more they're more likely to retain the information if they're a part of it. If I'm asking them questions and I'm giving them a task and they're essentially teaching me then they're more likely to retain it versus me just getting up saying, okay, Angelie, this is what it takes to get a bachelor's degree. You have to go to school for this amount of time and da 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 and you're just like, yawn, yawn, right? But if I say, Angelie, I need you to research what it takes for me to get a bachelor's degree at three local colleges and a major and get together and present it to me however you want to. If you want to do a song, if you want to do a chart, if you want, you know what I mean? Be creative with it. That's a little better than me just sitting. And this is what what my workshops look like when I'm up presenting in front of students. And they retain that information. Absolutely. Because they're always going to remember. Like, I remember when Miss Casina came in and we wrote a song about how to get a bachelor's degree or we wrote a rap or we did a TikTok (laughs) that, you know what I mean? I want them to be creative because they will never forget. It's it's always a memorable experience anytime I'm able to be up in front of students. They're not going to forget me. And we we won't forget you. Yes. Okay. Come on, Natalie Cole. (laughs) Where can people find out more about your services and what you do? Um, so they can actually follow me on my Instagram page. Now, don't be alarmed when you see my terrible TikToks because I did forewarn <laughs> you that I am not good at TikToks. She However, did say that. I did say that. <laughs> um, but one of my most popular workshops that I do with, with students is Insta TikTok, Your Way to Success. And it's kind of a social media meets college access workshop, essentially. And at the end, I do do TikToks with my students. So you will see me on there with students um, <laughs> dancing. But it's all in fun. I promise we did learn something before we started. Started doing our TikTok, um, but for ins- on Instagram, um, it is my business name Access Granted A K C E S S Granted dot N Y on Instagram, and you can also follow me on LinkedIn, which is my actual name, Kissina Fraser K I S S E N A Fraser with a Z, and I am also on LinkedIn um, for Access Granted as well. But I'm always posting, um, and you can also email me at casina at accessgranted.com. Google me. I am very, very easy, easy to find. T- what TikTok? Uh, have you participated in any of the TikTok challenges? 
Not any of the challenges. Um, the last one, I'm trying to even think of the I So I'm never really on TikTok unless I'm posting on TikTok <laughs> um, or else I'm looking for a hack for something like around the house. Yes. Because, yeah, TikTok the, is like the new Google. No, the DIY. So usually, right. So usually I'm, I'm asking the students, um, Definitely have done the cuff it challenge because that was yes. Because how could I mean Beehive Beyonce? How could you not? How could you not? (laughs) But I always give the students. Um, I give them a choice. So usually they pick whatever is like the thing to do. Um, and we have a little quick rehearsal. And once again, I'm usually messing it up, and they're like rocking it. I'm just in the background doing a little shimmy. But it's it's always fun. Like I said, it's always fun and it's engaging and it's a memorable moment for them i'm like how many times have you got a staff member or a teacher who is okay with like making a fool of themselves um (laughs) and posting it in the name of education (laughs) right right? (laughs) that's me that's me (laughs) casina frazier thank you so much for coming on what's next thank you so much you're listening to what's next right here on wbfo and wbfo hd1 buffalo wolnolian and wubj jamestown your npr station